We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. We are at episode 929. We are closing in on 1,000, which feels absolutely crazy to say, but it also feels crazy to say that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just beat the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 9. It feels crazy to say that Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl rings. It feels crazy that the 2020-2021 season is already in the books and we have an offseason that will last at least until August if there's preseason, if not until September. So always a very bittersweet moment where you are celebrating and watching and enjoying a Super Bowl. And then there's not real football again for the foreseeable future. But that doesn't mean that there's not still a ton to talk about. Of course, I'll be breaking down the Super Bowl today, including a lot that happened over the weekend. Aaron Rodgers winning MVP, Charles Woodson, uh, you know, being informed that he's going into the Hall of Fame, Joe Barry becoming defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the offseason still is incredibly fun. The Packers are on the clock. Uh, draft time is coming you know, before you know it. Uh, of course, we're going to have a free agency period. There's going to be a lot of transactions. The Packers just hired a defensive coordinator. We'll see if there's any other changes to the staff. So 
No doubt about it. This is going to be one of those insanely important off seasons for Green Bay, especially with where the salary cap is projected to be at. And, uh, you know, so make sure you stick with us here on the Pack-A-Day podcast 365 days a year because while it may be the end of the football season, the start of 2021 is just getting going and Brian Gutekunst has a ton of decisions that he has to make, including Aaron Jones and Kevin King and Corey Lindsley and how he's going to reshape this roster, Preston Smith, Dean Lowry, and the list goes on and on. So, we are going to have a very fun off season. So make sure that, uh, to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and make sure to stick with us here 365 days a year. But let's get into some brass tacks. Let's break down the Bucks victory over the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 9. Finally, Tom Brady catches a break in his career. You just got to feel so happy for the guy who's had nothing go his way for, oh, I don't know, like three decades. Uh, certainly hasn't won six Super Bowls in the past and didn't just win another Super Bowl MVP is fifth, if I remember correctly. Uh, And they absolutely demolished the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to 9. And I think if we're all being honest going in, uh, you know, I predicted the the Bucs would win by like a field goal, but I don't think anyone expected a Bucs blowout. I think probably first would have been a close Chiefs win, followed by a close Bucs win, followed by a blowout Chiefs win. And I think the least likely scenario going into this game was the Bucs just absolutely handling the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think what we learned from this game, and I know that there's the old adage, defense wins championships, but I'm going to take it a step further. You know, the, the trenches win championships. And I don't ever recall seeing a Super Bowl where one team just completely dominated in the trenches as much as Tampa Bay dominated the Chiefs in this game. And it really harkens back to a, a couple weeks ago with, with Packers Bucks and how, you know, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre Paul, and Dominican Sue, Vita Vea, that entire group dominated the Packers offensive line up front. And, you know, on the flip side, the, the group of Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, um, you know, couldn't generate much pressure. Kenny Clark had a really nice game in that game, as did Corey Lindsley on the other side. But the rest was Tampa Bay dominating on both sides. And ultimately, that's what led me to to pick the, the Bucks in what I thought was going to be a close game. But nothing, never did I expect anything like this, where the, the, the Chiefs were completely outclassed. I certainly would never have expected Patrick Mahomes and this offense not to score a touchdown. Now you could tell Mahomes was banged up. He was not himself. I do not believe that that would have mattered. What Tampa Bay did defensively to take away Kansas City and take them out of their game was absolutely incredible and deserves a ton of credit. And I know that a lot of those penalty flags in the first half are going to get a lot of criticism, especially from Packer fans. And and I think rightfully so. I mean, the, the one down the sidelines that was, you know, very similar to the Scotty Miller play from a couple weeks ago, th- that was tough to gauge. I think, you know, it looked like he kind of grabbed out for the foot and uh, it also looked like, you know, potentially the receiver just tripped on the play. I think that was Godwin on the play. Uh, but the, the, you know, the corner was beat and it looked like he made an attempt to trip the player, uh, whether it was catchable or not. I, I think it would have been, I think I understand why the penalty flag came out there, especially in real time. I think when you slow it down, you can maybe see that maybe the receiver just tripped or something like that. But in real time, that looked like a penalty and I could certainly understand and justify that the, the play in the back of the end zone, uh, where I, 
think it was Godwin again, but maybe it was Evans, where basically he just runs through uh, Tyron Matthew, and then Brady throws a very obviously incatchable ball, and they call the pass interference and put the ball at the one-yard line. That definitely was ridiculous, but I think the bigger thing here, especially if you're a Packer fan, which 99.9% likely that you are since you're listening to this podcast, is just the inconsistencies into which the the holding and the pass interference penalties have been called going back to that Tampa Bay game uh, against the Packers and now, of course, in the Super Bowl. And I think if we're being honest and we're being fair, I think Tampa Bay outplayed Green Bay in that game. And I think Tampa Bay outplayed, certainly outplayed Kansas City in this game. Does that mean that does that mean that those penalties should or, should or shouldn't have been called or that it shouldn't have been called consistently? No. The Alan Lazard penalty on the interception was one that completely could have changed the outcome of that game. So I think that's one of those things where the inconsistencies are what bother you. And it's one thing if you're going to you know, let these things go. And really, if you look at it through the course of the season, the, the penalties were all down. And then in the postseason, it seemed like they went down even more. So, you know, you just want to see that call consistently. I did not think that some of those penalties that were called against the Chiefs defensively certainly raised to the level of throwing a penalty in comparison to what it was in Green Bay, in comparison to what it, how it was called throughout the entirety of the season. So you hate to see that. And you hate to see that as a Buccaneers fan too, in, in a game where, where Tampa, clearly outplayed Kansas City for the vast majority of this game. Kansas City couldn't get anything going offensively. You don't want any dumb penalties that are going to, you know, put, you know, hang a cloud over the victory. And I don't think that if you're, if you're Tampa Bay, you're probably not thinking about those penalties at all, but uh, you just don't want those things called that way. You want it called consistently throughout the course of a season of playoffs and certainly in a Super Bowl. And that inconsistency is just annoying. I don't think it's a, a blemish on the state of football, or I don't think it's, you know, something that needs insane addressing or being able to challenge pass interference or holding penalties. You just want to see it called a little bit more consistently. And I still think, especially in this game, I think we can debate Packers, Bucks all day and how some of those penalties were called. But I, I definitely think in this one, the Buccaneers were the better team and, and definitely the better team won this game. I, I think one of the interesting thought processes here is how, how do Packer fans feel of their perception with their loss to the Buccaneers now that the Tampa Bay Bucks absolutely destroyed the Kansas City Chiefs? On one hand, it certainly makes you feel a little bit better in the fact that, all right, it wasn't like, you know, you lost to the Bucks and, uh, you know, the Bucks get obliterated by the Chiefs and, you know, you probably weren't even close to this Chiefs team and, you know, so on and so forth. You know, you put up a much better fight and a much better effort against Tampa Bay than the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, you were a few plays away, certainly from being able to win that game and go to a Super Bowl and, and face a Chiefs team that really didn't look great. And that's the downside, right? In hindsight, I think a lot of people, myself included, felt like, you know, even if Green Bay did get to this game to face Kansas City, that, you know, the Chiefs were were pretty decent favorites to, to win that game, especially with, you know, how Green Bay was playing defensively and how they looked against Tampa Bay defensively in that first half and what the Chiefs can do as an explosive offense. And I don't want to take anything away from Todd Bowles and that Tampa defense, which had a lot to do with why the Chiefs were struggling, but the Chiefs looked like they had their, you know, D minus game going. And, you know, who knows if that's the same against Green Bay, who knows if the matchups are the same. And if, if Kansas City gets early touchdowns and scores, maybe they get confidence and play well 
all game long, which certainly could be the case, but that looked like a incredibly beatable Kansas City Chiefs team uh, in the Super Bowl. And as a Packer fan, you would love the opportunity to see Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense play against the Chiefs team that didn't look good in any facet of the game. They didn't look good running the football. They certainly didn't look good throwing the football. They didn't look good stopping the pass. They didn't look good stopping the run. Uh, they they did nothing right in that game. And then, you know, their their punter was abysmal. I think J.K. Scott would have actually had the advantage in the punting game in that one, which is saying something. So, you know, you are, you know, certainly reeling from the fact if you're a Packer or Packer fan that you didn't get a chance to play that Kansas City team in a Super Bowl. And who, like I said, who knows what happens? You know, we'll, we'll never know. But I mean, it's disappointing to see Kansas City play that way and a Green Bay beat Tampa Bay in an NFC Championship game in a game where there were numerous self-inflicted wounds by the by the Packers. You've got a chance to maybe be hoisting that Lombardi trophy with Aaron Rodgers winning his second Super Bowl. So it's 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 a it's certainly a double-edged sword like i said you, you know you saw what tampa did against kansas city and maybe you feel a little bit better that you were uh you know you you were able to do what you were able to do against tampa bay and still make that game close despite the insane amount of self-inflicted wounds but at the same time you are regretting all day not getting a chance to play against that kansas city team i want to go back a little bit towards how this tampa bay team was built though because the Buccaneers, whatever you think of them, whatever you think of Tom Brady, I'm sure not a lot of Packer fans are celebrating that win for Tampa, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from a general manager standpoint or team building standpoint did one of the best jobs in the last 365 days of any team that I can possibly remember. Now, of course, getting a quarterback like Tom Brady and adding them to your franchise is always going to you know, move the needle in a very positive direction for you. But this is a team that decided to franchise Shaq Barrett, which ended up being the incredibly correct move. They re-signed Jason Pierre-Paul to a new two-year deal, which and it was a you know team-friendly deal, which again an incredibly good move. They re-signed Dominican Sue to a one-year deal, team-friendly deal, an incredible move. They pick up uh, Kevin Minter, they re-sign him, and then oh you know of course sign Tom Brady, uh, you know sign Rob Gronkowski. They get Joe Hag as depth along the offensive line. And then in season, they get Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown, two players that played huge roles in their run throughout the the you know end of the year. And then in the draft, they get Tristan Wirfs, one of the best offensive tackles in football already um, at offensive tackle, Antoine Winfield. They're starting safety and playmaker. They get him in the second round. And then Tyler Johnson, as we saw against the Packers, has, has played a role as well. So in one offseason, whether you're talking about making difficult decisions to re-sign players, signing new players, or drafting players, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Dominican Sue, Kevin Minter, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Joe Haig, Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Tristan Wirfs, Antonio Winfield Jr., and Tyler Johnson, that is one hell of a 365 days and is a massive reason, is, is the reason why Tampa Bay is hoisting a Lombardi trophy. And then, you know, you, you want to take that a step further, right? You can, you can point to the, you know, Tom Brady signing and the Gronkowski trade. I actually think it was, if I remember correctly, you know, those sort of things certainly play a huge role, but look at how they drafted over the course of the last three seasons. Over the last three years, here are some of the players that they, they have drafted. Vita Vea, Ronald Jones Jr., Carlton Davis, Alex Kappa, Jordan Whitehead, Devin White, Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean, Mike Edwards, Scotty Miller, Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Whitfield, and Tyler Johnson. 
You want to build a team, you draft like that over the course of three seasons. And then, oh, by the way, you know, again, get Tom Brady, Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown. But that's the way you build. You build the structure, the core of the team through the draft, and then you fill in with high-priced free agents in the gaps. And again, I don't want to minimize the fact that one of their gaps was quarterback and one of those high-priced free agents was Tom Brady. But Adam Schefter reported after the game that there were only a couple teams, the Chargers and the Bucks, that were really, you know, hardcore going after Tom Brady. So that that should tell you something. The, the Patriots were ready to say we're we're done with Tom Brady, or at least maybe the other way around. But it seemed like those two sides were both ready to, you know, to kind of cut bait and go in a different direction. The, you know, they took a, a chance on a 43-year-old quarterback in Tom Brady, who, if we're being real, go back to the, the Patriots, you know, season last year, the last handful of games, the last half a season, Tom Brady did not look good. You know, ended with a, a pick six, I believe, is his last pass as a, as a New England Patriot in the playoffs and looked horrible in that game. So they took a risk. It paid off huge, but give them credit for drafting incredibly over the course of the last three years and building the base of that team so that, you know, players like Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Tom Brady want to go there because they can see that the talent is there. And that's not even including guys like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Levante David and some um, some really talented players that were already on that team. So they've done just a tremendous job in building. And that team had very few weaknesses. You've got a quarterback like Brady. They had two good running backs. They had multiple tight ends. OJ Howard's hurt for the year. They would have had three tight ends. I don't even know how they would have used all of them. Their offensive line was fantastic. Ryan Jensen's one of the best centers in the league. Wirfs was one of the best right tackles. Ellie Marpet's one of the best guards. Their offensive line was great. They had depth that were receiver for days. They could rush the passer from the outside and the inside. They could play six-man boxes and stop the run. Their linebackers could get sideline to sideline. Their corners were physical, could play tough man-to-man defense, and their safeties were playmakers all over the place. They had a good kicker, a solid punter. There's they they lacked for absolutely nothing. And I know that when you're you know, you're watching Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. It's not exactly fun, but you know, as I look at teams and how they build their roster, it's really difficult not to look at the, this Bucks management and say, tip your cap and give them a ton of credit for how they built this team. Really picking up some guys that were, you know, kind of you know no longer wanted, and to an extent that includes Tom Brady, Fournette, Antonio Brown, and Dominican Sue. Uh, you know, even Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, Shaq Barrett, when they got him originally was uh, a cast off from, from Denver, you know, Gronkowski was retired. So th- they did a really great job in, in finding some of these unique pieces and also getting them to play at some of their highest levels that they have in a while. You know, and Dominican Sue didn't do much for the Rams. He's been really good for Tampa Bay this year. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett have revitalized their careers in Tampa Bay. Gronkowski towards the end of the year looked a little bit more like Gronkowski and especially in the Super Bowl. Brady, was playing better as a buck than he had as a Patriot these last couple years. Fournette looked insanely better as a buck than he did as a Jaguar. So, you know, give this coaching staff and, and, you know, general manager and the entire organization a ton of credit for finding young talent, finding veteran talent, spending money on the right players. That's how these things come together. And that's how you ultimately win a Super Bowl. And you have to tip your cap to Tampa Bay. And then, oh, by the way, one other insane signing, you know, Todd Bowles as defensive coordinator, which, you know, the Jets letting him go 
And, uh, you know, as head coach, it's probably the right move. You, you know, he just didn't seem to cut it as a head coach, although nobody does with that Jets team. But man, he is easily, in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator in the league. And what he was able to do to Mahomes in that Chiefs offense was nothing short of incredible. Mahomes had never had a game in college or in the NFL where his team did not score at least one touchdown up until this game. So that just tells you how rare this is. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he didn't have one in high school either. So this is probably the first time a Patrick Mahomes led team has never scored a touchdown and it was in the Super Bowl when it mattered most and so much of that credit goes to Todd Bowles and it, it takes it takes a talent mixed with the the scheme and that's exactly what this was this was a perfect scheme for the talent that they had the general manager Licht did a phenomenal job of matching that talent uh, with the scheme that Todd Bowles wanted to run and that's that's how you end up winning a Super Bowl in convincing fashion and and Tampa Bay I mean, I know that their first game against Washington wasn't exactly the you know biggest matchup in the world, but they go on the road to Washington. And then in back-to-back-to-back games, they beat Drew Brees in New Orleans, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and then Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. That is as tough of a road as you can possibly imagine. And again, I know that the Washington game uh, you know, wasn't exactly the toughest game in the world, but the, the next three games after that, it, that that is an insanely tough task for any team in the NFL to go against Breeze, Rodgers, and Mahomes in back-to-back-to-back games and win. And of course, it was Tom Brady to be able to do it. Who else? Uh, the, you know, a lot of play- We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Players in this game that maybe I'm not super excited that they're getting either a or another Super Bowl ring, but one player I am so insanely happy for is Levante David, who just is one of the the best NFL players that never always gets the recognition that he de- you know always deserves. One of my favorite players to watch over the course of the last decade. He's so fast. He's so instinctive. And, you know, playing in Tampa, which was, you know, a barren wasteland for players for a good portion of that time, you know, just didn't always get the recognition, but he's still playing at such a high level at this point in his career was such a a key piece. Uh, And you looked and, you know, there were times where Travis Kelsey was, you know, just covering it was Levante David on the play. And that just doesn't happen. He was phenomenal in this game and he's been phenomenal this season and throughout the course of this, uh, of his career. So really excited, Um, you know, certainly some other players on this team, but Levante David's the, the one player that I'm so excited you know, got his ring because he more than deserved it. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. 
Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC, maximum balance and transfer limits apply. I think that does it for my Super Bowl takes. Let's go over some of the other happenings that happened this weekend, at least in regards to the Packers. And I want to start with, I know the defensive coordinator is is the big story, which I'll get to in a second, but I want to start with Aaron Rodgers as MVP because I don't want to, you know, it's so easy to pass over that in a weekend that had Charles Woodson going into the Hall of Fame, Leroy Butler getting passed over for John Lynch, uh, you know, Jim Leonard turning down the defensive coordinator, Joe Barry getting the defensive coordinator, that Bucks beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. There's literally so much going on that it's easy to to just kind of walk over this, this Rodgers MVP, especially because we all pretty much knew it was coming already. But I know that people don't ever really like anyone talking poorly about Aaron Rodgers. And this isn't even a a dig on Aaron Rodgers, but it's so safe to say that he was not the same quarterback in 2017, 2018, and 2019 that he was this year. And I know... I know Aaron Rodgers kind of made the the joke on on the Pat McAfee show that you know his down years are most quarterbacks' career years, which he's right. He's a million percent right. But those were down years for Aaron Rodgers. You know he was more middle of the pack when it came to uh, you know top quarterbacks in the league. When you looked at his you know whether you want to look at his statistics, advanced statistics, analytics, or just even the, the eye test. You know he wasn't playing at that MVP level. And there was a real question as to whether or not anyone would be able to get Aaron Rodgers playing at that MVP level again. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, but make no mistake about it. When Mark Murphy gave that introductory press conference with Matt LaFleur as head coach, he he basically said, this hire is to get Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level. It was, that was not the quote. I'm paraphrasing and you know piecing things together based on what he said. But th- it was very clear that they were trying to bring in a coach that was going to be able to get Aaron Rodgers playing back at an MVP level. And credit to Matt LaFleur and credit to uh, you know Mark Murphy and, and Brian Gutekunst for making the hire that they did. But Matt LaFleur was able to do that. And it was a quarterback-friendly system that was able to get Aaron Rodgers in a rhythm. His footwork was better. Aaron Rodgers Rodgers, of course, found, um, you know, that kind of weakness on tape that, you know, him not, you know, getting back in his stance the way that he used to. He trusted his legs more this year. He put time into the offseason and he came out and he played just phenomenal throughout the course of this season. And it was so fun as somebody covering the team, as a fan, to go out and watch Aaron Rodgers play at such a ridiculously high level at this point in his career still. And, uh, you know, Ben Fennell always talks about, you know, how this is a, a type of system and this is a type of quarterback that if you're not scrambling around and doing all the things outside of the pocket, yeah, Aaron Rodgers probably can play into his 40s in this offense if it continues to play this way. And if he continues to play this way, he's in the best shape of his life. 
You know, he is making incredible reads at the line of scrimmage. He's still making the spectacular happen when he needs to, but he's playing within the structure of the offense. He's not taking hits. He's not getting sacked. And it's going to be up to Brian Gutekinds to continue to build that offensive line up around him and make sure that it's, you know, he's able to play within the pocket and keep his eyes downfield like he was able to this year. But, you know, so much credit to Aaron Rodgers for for coming out and having the year that he did. So much credit to Matt LaFleur for the design of the offense and making things easier for Aaron Rodgers than it's it's been over the course of the last, you know, handful of seasons with the Mike McCarthy system. And uh, I just, I think it, it, it deserves a ton of praise uh, overall. And you got to give credit to guys like Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and Robert Tunyon and David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley and Elton Jenkins and this entire Packers offense for for really being there, uh, you know, and, and making this offense click right alongside of Aaron Rodgers as well. You know, we talk about this offense needing playmakers, but it's a lot of the guys doing the grunt work, the Mercedes Lewises and the Alan Lazards and the Dominique Daphne's at times. And like those sort of players who are just doing so much of the small stuff, obviously the offensive linemen that really make this offense click and make this offense go. And it, it takes the the mind of Aaron Rodgers to do the right stuff at the line of scrimmage. And then the, the you know, physical gifts that he was given to be able to execute some of the stuff and still make some of those MVP caliber plays when Green Bay needed it most. And then of course, you've got your ultimate weapon in Devontae Adams on the outside as well. But this was just a well-oiled machine on offense all year. But Aaron Rodgers was more than deserving of the MVP award. We found out our answer. He is more than capable of still playing at an MVP level. And I don't see anything coming up over the course of the next couple seasons that would potentially slow him down, barring an injury. You know, I don't see his arm strength degrading over the course of the next couple of years to the point where he's not going to be able to make any of the throws that he was able to make this year. I don't see his mobility changing. And even if it does, he played so much from within the pocket that it shouldn't matter all that much. This is a player that's set up for success. And, you know, we can save the, you know, when is Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay topic for another day because it's not coming this year. And until Jordan Love puts any pressure on Aaron Rodgers, it's not going to come, period, that we're going to have to see some growth from, from Jordan Love first. But in the meantime, what an enjoyable season from Aaron Rodgers. And hopefully he's got a couple more in him and hopefully Green Bay can get him that one more Super Bowl trophy. All right, let's jump over to defensive coordinator. And for anyone that heard me on the video version, um, I apologize. I'm going to repeat myself on a couple of these items here, but I want to start with Jim Leonard because there are people who have, you know, said on on social media and the comments and in a variety of other places that Jim Leonard has done some sort of disservice to Green Bay by going through the interview process or by you know you know not accepting the offer. And I just think it's complete and utter BS. And you know, I know Jim Leonard has gone through this process before with the Rams, with uh, you know other teams where he's been you know offered positions and he's turned it down to stay at Madison. But there are only so many of these potential opportunities that come along, and you have to believe that this is a team with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback that just made it to the NFC Championship that is probably a slightly better defense away from winning a Super Bowl that that has to be enticing to to Jim Leonard even in a situation where he loves where he's at he loves the University of Madison he's in all likelihood their future head coach he has job security for days even with all of that 
it has to make it a really difficult decision that you can go and coach at the highest of levels as a defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, stay within the state of Wisconsin, not move your family very far at all, and have an opportunity to go out and win a Super Bowl alongside Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, and a defense that has players like Jair Alexander and Kenny Clark and those sort of sort of players. And Jim Leonard, I'm sure, knows as well, you know, it's really difficult at Wisconsin to win a national championship right? It, it's it's tough to go head to head against the Ohio States of the world and the Alabamas eventually if you want to try to win a national championship. I mean, winning a Big Ten championship is tough enough with Penn State, Ohio State, maybe Michigan is good again at some point, Michigan State. You know, I know some of those teams are down right now, but just winning a Big Ten championship is difficult in and of itself. But trying to win a national championship, I mean, Wisconsin going up against the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world, it's its near impossible. This is an opportunity for him to get a chance to potentially win a Super Bowl and get a ring as a defensive coordinator of an NFL team. You would be so ridiculously stupid not to at least hear what Matt LaFleur and the Packers have to say and to, and to see what they're offering and to kind of go through that process. Now, I want to first of all say that Tom Silverstein mentioned on Twitter that this had nothing to do with money. It was not that the Packers did not offer enough money. This was a decision based on Jim Leonard wanting to stay within the University of Wisconsin. But again, he would have been so dumb not to at least hear Green Bay out. And I will tell you this, if you are Green Bay, if you're Matt LaFleur, if you're Brian Gutekunst, if you're Mark Murphy, and Jim Leonard said to you, listen, I'm happy to interview, but there's a 99.99999% chance that I'm staying at the University of Wisconsin um, because I love it here and I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'll listen. I'll come and talk to you guys. I'll come and interview, but I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving the University of Wisconsin, but I'm happy to come interview. If you are Matt LaFleur, if you're Brian Gutekunst, if you're Mark Murphy, you a million times out of a million still want him to come in the building and interview and pitch him the position. You Because you want to say, you know what, I think maybe I'm going to have the opportunity to change his mind and maybe he'll love it here and maybe he will want to become the defensive coordinator, especially if he's your top choice going into the process, which it sounds like whether he was at the beginning of the process, he obviously was at the end of the process. So he's not wasting your time. You're having an opportunity to pitch one of the best defensive coordinators in football to come be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Even if he's uh, near 100% sure that he's going to stay in Wisconsin, you still want that opportunity to pitch him that job. And you're certainly not going to have any hard feelings when he says, I'm so thankful for the opportunity, but I'm going to stay in Wisconsin and I'm going to, you know, that's where I want to be. You're certainly not going to be disappointed in him for that. You had the opportunity to pitch it. He said, no, you go to your next candidate. That is literally every job search in football, outside of football. That is how those things go. So to say that Jim Leonard did any sort of disservice is absolutely beyond ridiculous. The other thing I would say is if Jim Leonard knew a billion percent for sure that there is nothing in the world that the Packers could have done to change his mind, that he knew for sure that he was going to return to the Badgers. If I were Jim Leonard's agent or just his friend or his advisor, I would have said you should still go through that process. And if I were Matt LaFleur or Brian Gutekunst or Mark Murphy's advisor, I would say you should still pick Jim Leonard's brain. This is an opportunity, by the way, for Matt LaFleur. And if you have, maybe you have a couple of your defensive coaches sit in on those interviews. This is an opportunity to interview and pick the brain of some of the better defensive coordinator candidates and some of the bright young defensive minds in all of football. 
you still want them to come in and learn uh, and, and have an opportunity to ask questions of how they put together their defense, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and how they see the NFL going and, and ask some of those questions because as a organization, you can learn a lot from that. So I would still want, even if if they knew Jim Leonard wasn't going to come, I would still want to interview him and I would recommend interviewing him. And on the flip side, again, if I was advising Jim Leonard, I would say, hey, this is still a really great opportunity. You're going to be a head coach one day. This is this is a great opportunity to pick the mind of, of Matt LaFleur and to learn more from how they go through an interview process, what kind of questions they ask. Like this is a really great opportunity. And oh, by the way, it doesn't do any harm that the Packers are, you know, that it's known that the Packers wanted to hire you as defense coordinator. So this is how these things work. This is business. This is real world, real life situations. And I don't care if I'm talking to you about a customer service rep position or a manager position at Wendy's. Like if you've got an opportunity to interview for a position that is you know, either equal or, or of higher value, I'm going to tell you, go through that interview. Even if you decide to turn it down, it's really great experience. So it is beyond insane to me that anyone would think that anyone did any harm to to this you know this situation by going through an interview or a second interview it's, both sides did exactly what they should have done in this process interviewing Jim Leonard and interviewing one of the best defensive minds in football to see if he's and try to convince him to come be the defensive coordinator and Jim Leonard to see what Green Bay was offering because how in the hell are you supposed to make an educated decision if you don't at least go and listen? And that's what he did. He went and listened. He interviewed for the position he got offered and ultimately at the end of the day decided that Wisconsin was a better fit for him, which I totally understand. Am I bummed? Yeah, because I think he would have made a great defensive coordinator for the Packers, but I certainly understand the process and do not fault Jim Leonard in any way, shape, or form. All right, let's talk about Joe Barry for just a minute because, of course, Green Bay does decide to go with Joe Barry as defensive coordinator. And I think what was a little bit of a surprise when I did my YouTube video, I listed 10 candidates that I thought were maybe top candidates for Green Bay. This is when the position first came open. And then I did three bonus ones at the end that had ties to Matt LaFleur and I thought maybe could come around to potentially be candidates as well. And one of those three bonus candidates was Joe Barry because of because of the relationship that they had with the Rams. And I just thought that that could potentially be a, a natural fit. He's had defensive coordinator experience in the in the past. Definitely did not think that he would end up being one of the top candidates. Also didn't think that he would end up being the guy, but I definitely knew that that was a name that could potentially come up throughout the process. But obviously Matt LaFleur felt comfortable with Joe Barry from working with them. There have been some, you know, people around the league. If you read some of the articles that were out there, Tom Silverstein did a great job. Bill Huber put an article out. Um, I know Zach Cruz, I think did an article as did, I believe Domovsky had one as well. So there's some, uh, and then uh, Zach Jacobson, of course, for Packer Report did one as well. Um, some really good stuff that you can read out there, but you know, there were some really strong things that were said uh, about, um, you know, about Joe Barry, including that, you know, he was very well organized, that some thought that he would eventually be a NFL coach by this point uh, because of how organized he is, that he's a player's coach. He is very aggressive was uh, the, the term that came up. So, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. This is certainly not somebody that was on the top of my list, uh, although I would, hard, uh, you know, very much recommend uh, trusting Matt LaFleur's list over my list. Uh, that goes without saying, but it is an interesting hire and it is one that on the surface is a little bit underwhelming and it's tough to get excited about. 
He's had four defensive coordinate, you know, four years in the league where he was defensive coordinator. And in DVOA in those four years, his defense has finished 30th, 31st, 21st, and 25th. His teams have finished in the bottom half of the league in yards, in points, in every one of those years. And no matter what, you know, angle that you're kind of looking at it, it's really difficult to say like, hey, this is this is someone that you're going to be really excited about and he's going to come in and make an immediate impact. It's tough to point to that one thing and say, look at what he's done. This is what he's going to bring to Green Bay. And I think that's that's what's a little bit of a, of a tough sell here. And, and, you know, what is he going to do that's going to be any different or any better than Mike Patton is something that he's, you know, that, that ultimately is going to have to be answered with how Green Bay plays on the field. So it's a very interesting hire. Definitely not the direction that I thought, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur and this Packers team would go with. His background is in a Tampa two cover two defense. You know, you're looking at more of a four, three Tony Dungy, Monty Kiffin style of defense. Now, we don't know what he's going to play. He spent two years with the Rams with Wade Phillips in a 3-4 defense. He also spent last year um, with Brandon Staley and more of that Vic Fangio defense. So you're looking at you know some very distinct defenses. He knows 3-4. He knows 4-3. You know, he knows how to do a, a Tampa 2 cover 2 defense. He also knows how to play a lot of two high safeties with man coverage and do a lot of the things that Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio likes to do. From a defensive mindset standpoint, you've got a lot of great ideas in the room. That's what I know a lot of people didn't like um, the Nathaniel Hackett hire when it originally happened, but I really liked it because Matt LaFleur had all the Shanahan uh, stuff, and then he also had, um, you know, all the McVeigh stuff. Aaron Rodgers had kind of the McCarthy stuff, as well as did. Um, uh, the quarterbacks coach Lou Getze. and then Nathaniel Hackett had um, you know all of the the different sort of stuff from a lot of like the West Coast offenses and things like that in his background and had a totally different offense and now you can go about building a playbook with all those different offenses in mind and really kind of put the best of the best out on the field I, that's why I love that potential relationship and in a way I would like to see Jerry Gray get maybe bumped up to like a passing game coordinator because I think in a very similar vein, you've got, you know, now you've got Joe Barry, who's got, again, some of that, you know, Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio. He's got some Tampa 2, Tony Dungy, Monty Kiffin. He's got some Wade Phillips in his background. This defense is obviously already well-versed in the Mike Pettin way of doing things in the Mike Pettin system, which is a good system in and of itself. It just needed a little, you know, be a little bit more aggressive and probably a little bit more talent at a couple different positions. Then you've got Jerry Gray, who knows that Mike Zimmer way of doing things as well. So you've got a lot of great system information and in how to make these players work for you best. Now it's just putting all of those systems to work and making sure that you have a scheme that's going to best fit the Green Bay Packers. And while I'm fairly certain that that's going to include a 3-4 defense carrying over from what Green Bay already has on the roster and not making a whole scale change there, he does have a lot of 4-3 in his background. So I don't think we can say that quite for sure. Um, if they do go more of a Tampa two cover two, it's going to be really interesting. I don't know that that necessarily plays to the strengths of either Jair Alexander or Darnell Savage, which is something that's going to have to be, you know, you know, thought of, you know, quite heavily. You know, if you're playing more of that, you know, Brandon Staley, you know, two man defense with uh, a lot of under principles with your corners and then two safeties that like to play a little bit deeper, but can do some disguising that certainly fits both, both Savage and Adrian Amos. I think that defense is probably what, you know, what, uh, what Matt LaFleur was probably looking at and, and kind of bringing in, but it's going to be really interesting to see 
how you know how he builds this defense, what scheme he ultimately uses, and how he figures out the best ways to utilize players like Jair Alexander and Darnell Savage and the rest of the the, the really skilled players. Kenny Clark, you know how you play him. Do you want him as a nose tackle? Do you want him as a th- four three defensive tackle? Some of those decisions as well. Rashawn Gary's best position might be as a four three defensive end, even though they've spent all the time changing him into a a three four outside linebacker. Zadarius Smith can play anywhere, so. All those things are going to be really interesting to see how they put the Packers in their best position to be successful. Uh, let's see. The only other thing I really wanted to go over was was Charles Woodson and his being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And you have to be so happy for Charles Woodson and you know what he's been able to accomplish in the league. A no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer. What he did for the Green Bay Packers completely changed their defense, set up that Dom Capers defense for success, completely changed in a lot of ways how teams were going into sub packages. And Charles Woodson, what he was able to do, I mean, he could basically play man corner, zone corner, slot outside, safety, outside linebacker. Like He did everything and he was just such a special player and did it at almost like nobody ever has in the history of the game in that slot corner position just because of his versatility and, and being able to do so many things. Um, I went back and I looked. Well, the the Packers had posted a tweet that Charles Woodson had nine pick sixes in his seven years with Green Bay. So I looked. It's been seven years since Charles Woodson has left. So there's been seven seasons since. All other Packers in the past seven seasons have had eight pick sixes over the last seven years. Charles Woodson had nine himself in the seven years that he was in Green Bay. Just a special, unique Hall of Fame franchise player for the Green Bay Packers. I know, you know, he played more for the Raiders and ended up with the Raiders after he was done with Green Bay, but his impact in Green Bay was absolutely immeasurable. I know everyone knows the stories of him, you know, not wanting to play in Green Bay originally and then buying in and really becoming one of the leaders of the team and and really assigning that in my opinion is as important and, and as impactful as the Reggie White signing during the 96 Super Bowl run. Just a, a home run swing. Uh, by Ted Thompson when no very similar to Tom Brady right not exactly everyone was after Tom Brady this past offseason well when Thompson had signed Charles Woodson they were the only team that was willing to pay Woodson like they paid Woodson and it just paid off in so many huge ways so just another uh, huge win for for Ted Thompson Uh, a great uh, you know it's going to be a great induction for Charles Woodson and one of the players that I'm really really looking forward to seeing enshrined in Canton for eternity and uh, for immortality for Charles Woodson's sake. All right. I think that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I mentioned the YouTube video a couple times in today's show. If you haven't had a chance uh, to watch it yet, please make sure to do so. Just look up Packaday or Packaday Podcast on YouTube. And I personally do a new episode there, 365 days a year. I'm already over 100 days uh, doing it over there. Uh, so it's usually about 10 to 15 minutes uh, every single day um, on a you know unique Packers topic. So make sure to check that out if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure to subscribe to your audio podcast wherever you get your favorite audio podcasts. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.